A, uh, a few years into ministry, I was, uh, I was standing by a senior past, my senior pastor on a, on a Sunday morning, and a, an older, an elder woman came up and, uh, and said, can I ask you a question? And I, uh, I started to sort of slide away because I, I figured she'd want her privacy, and she kind of gestured at me and, and looked and, and waved me back and said, no, you should stay here too. You're in seminary. You might want to know this. She, uh, she then started to tell the, the story. She said, do you remember my husband? He, he passed away a couple of years ago. Her husband was just an incredible saint to the church, deep faith, caring, great, great guy, and unfortunately passed away too early from, from cancer. She went on with the story. She said, you know, when, uh, when the end was close and hospice had brought in, we had a day, a couple days before he passed, and we were just talking, and he wasn't afraid. Like he, his faith knew that there was, there was more ahead for him. But he said to me, like the, the one thing, the most important thing in his life was taking care of me. And so he said to me, he's like, you know what? It's important that you are taken care of, that you have more good times ahead. So, you know, when, when the right guy comes along, if you, if you want to marry again, I just, I just want you to know that's okay. And she giggled a little at this moment, which was kind of an odd reaction to what she had just told us. And I thought, what? And, and then, then she, she sort of quickly said, she's like, I said to him, um, I will never find another guy like you. And he said, no, you won't. <laughs> but then he said, but there'll be another guy out there that might want to care for you. And, and I want you to have years of happiness ahead. And she, she said she kept pushing against it, and, and they just sort of left it. He said, I just want you to know if, if that time comes, you have my blessing. But one thing, when you get to heaven, you have to be mine. <laughs> she then got this look, kind of a concern on her face, and she said, I met a guy, and he's caring, and he's He's good, and, and he's faithful, and, and uh, he's asked me if I'd consider marrying him. She's like, I think I want to, but, but I just can't stop asking this question about heaven. What does happen when you get to heaven? Who will I be with in heaven? So what would you have answered? We're going to come back to that question. In a, in a few minutes. But let me, let me take this moment in that question, right? A, a good question to, to offer an invitation, really a, a, an introduction to a, a new series, not our typical sermon series that happens like over four weeks in a row. But I, we're going to start a series today that's going to happen over the next year and a half with a sermon every, every couple of months where I just, I want to be the kind of pastor that is open to answering the questions that are on your heart, the questions about the Bible, about church, about faith. So I'm going to invite you over the next few months when you have a question, I hope you'll just email it to me or, or stop and, and let me know the question. I've started a file already in my email and I'm, uh, every so often, every couple months, we're just going to pull one of those questions and we're going to talk about it as a congregation. We're going to examine the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about, about those questions. Today's question is one, as pastors, we receive quite a bit. What do we believe about heaven? Let's, uh, let's pray. Would you, would you pray with me?
God of grace and wisdom. In these moments today, as we explore your word, widen our vision to see what you see. Open our minds to better understand your way and your teaching. And expand our hearts to grasp and share the fullness of your love and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, one of the topics that generates questions for, for pastors is, is this question of death and afterlife and, and heaven. And often it's something we don't talk about a lot. I mean, in, in your daily lives, do you, do you talk about heaven or the afterlife very much? The answer is usually no. Often, often those conversations start when, when we're facing death, our, our own. We're facing our own mortality or when a loved one is, is facing death at that time. And, and those conversations can be hard, right? And, and I, this is kind of an aside, but, but just something I want to lay out there as we start today. Um, these are important conversations, particularly conversations about what, what you want for, for your burial. You know, one of the questions that comes around death is cremation. Should I be cremated or not cremated? Those are good questions to face before the stress of, of hospice or, or illness. Um, if, uh, um, and they can be done at any time. And, and let me just encourage you to, to have those conversations with, with loved ones now because... Um, when, and some of you have been through this, when a family member passes, it can save a lot of grief and struggle if they already know what you want and what your wishes and, and what your hopes were. It can even save infighting in families if, if you have laid out kind of, kind of what you want in those times. Right? And I think, I think those conversations come up and they're hard because, because we haven't talked about it. I don't know about you, but, but conversations around, around death, are, they're awkward, they're, they're strange. My um, Dad has had some health issues, as some of you know, and, and, um, and we've had some conversations um, with our kids, Cheryl and I, with, with Noah and Ella, because um, I just want them to start to understand, like, what, what you know, our wishes are and, and what we believe. And, uh, and my kids are always like, Dad, I don't want to talk about, like, no, I don't want to talk about that stuff. And I think a lot of it, I mean, I, I think that's true of, of lots of us. But then when the time comes, we, we do have these questions, the cremation question, for instance, like, what do we believe about resurrection? Can I be cremated and, and, and still be resurrected? Like, what, what, is, what does bodily resurrection look like if, if, I've been, if I've been cremated? Or for those of you who've lost loved ones or, or family members, you've maybe asked this question, like, what is time like in heaven? When, w- will we be, you know, will we be together again? And, and what, what is a loved one doing in heaven? The thing is, I think because we don't talk about it that much, um, one of the things that sort of happens naturally is pop culture will be happy to fill in the blanks, right? There's lots out there about, uh, about end times and afterlife. I mean, pop culture has all kinds of things to say. Probably if you think right now, you can think of a book or a movie or, or something that is about uh, the afterlife or about, about heaven. And one of the ways to think about this is just think about what, what image comes to your mind when you think about heaven. What, what images pop up? And let me just ask, anybody think of like pearly gates and, and maybe St. Peter at the gate when you think about, about heaven? Right, this pops into our, into our mind. Art, both modern and ancient, sure, there, there's some, some biblical conversation about gates, but the idea that they're like the gate of the ranch down the road, uh, that, that's some artist's rendition, right? Pop culture loves to, to fill in those details. What about, uh, what about anybody just think of heaven as this place of exquisite beauty? I actually like that idea that, that heaven is this just beyond imagination, which is great. And, and 
right, it's interesting when we think about afterlife and movies, right, sometimes they'll create the afterlife with beyond imagination, and then you're like, wait, if it's beyond imagination, but I'm looking at your image of what that looks like. What Dreams May Come, movie quite a while ago, I don't know if anybody's seen it, it's a Robin Williams movie, and uh, he dies, and his heaven is um, the art, he's like literally in the artwork of his wife. It's kind of a, a fascinating movie, and I remember thinking at the time, like, I don't think I like the theology of this, um, but it generated such great conversations because we do want some sense of what it's going to be like. So let me ask one more question. Anybody picture people in white, like dressed and lined up for judgment? Anybody picture that when you think about heaven? Right? It's possible that you're thinking about a little bit of, of uh, revelation, but it's also very possible that you've seen pictures or you've seen Defending Your Life, the movie, and, uh, and you're thinking of... Uh, you're thinking of that idea. And it, it's so, you know, it, it's out there. Like, there are all these thoughts about heaven. Um, you've probably heard jokes about heaven. I, I've, I'm going to guess that I have shared this joke before. It's, I, it's one of my favorite jokes. A pastor dies and he goes to heaven. And uh, he's getting a tour of the, of the place with, with Jesus. And, uh, and he passes these kind of medium-sized homes. He's like, like who, who's in this area? And it's like, it's doctors and teachers and, and nurses and, and anybody who's helped people, people in, in service industries, all the people who've helped other people, anybody that was kind, that, that this is their, you know, all their homes are here. He's like, oh, okay. And then they walk a little bit further and there's this mansion, like this palatial mansion. It's huge. He's like, who's there? And, and Jesus is like, oh, that's a, that's a New York taxi driver. And the pastor is thinking, wow, if that's what a taxi driver gets, wait until we get to my space. And they round a couple more corners and they come to really just a, a, a small, nondescript house. And, and the, the pastor is like, you, you're kidding me, right? Like, this can't be. In. But Jesus says, this is yours. And the pastor is just dumbstruck and he, and he doesn't want to be selfish, but what passes through his mind is, if a taxi driver got a mansion, I, I preached every Sunday trying to help people grow closer to God. And Jesus, of course, is reading his mind and answers and says, well, you see, when, uh, when you preached on Sunday mornings, people slept. But when that taxi driver drove in New York, they prayed every moment. <laughs> I just love that joke. Um, it also kind of reminds me to be humble. But... Um, but even as, I, even as I tell that joke, um, one of the things that, that comes up is like the undercurrent of what we begin to believe and think about heaven when we, when we share stories like that. It also reminds me to wake you up because I want a bigger place in heaven. So if you just wake up. No, I'm joking. It's bad theology. Bad, bad theology. Which it probably makes it a good, a good jumping off place to talk about, okay, so so those are some of the pop culture ideas. What does heaven say about the Bible? What does the Bible say about heaven? The brain will get untracked in a moment, I promise. What does the Bible say about, about heaven? So if you want to turn to uh, John chapter 14, 1 to 4 in, in Bibles, or um, you'll see these words on the screen. Hear what Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, what have I t would I have told you that I go, that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. 
You know the way to the place where I am going. This is one of the the most shared scriptures. Some of you may, may nearly know or know the words by heart. You'll hear it at funerals and celebration of life services. We might pause as we hear them here today and we think about heaven and notice something in these, these four verses, these four lines of Jesus. And that's this. The focus of Jesus isn't on the place, but on the promise. The focus of Jesus isn't on the place, but on the promise. Jesus doesn't want his followers to worry about all the details of what it's going to be like or, or what, that, what that place looks like or how big it's, it's going to be or what neighborhood they might be in, right? Those are all earthly concerns. Instead, Jesus wants the disciples, wants his followers to be able to count on the promise that there is a place prepared. The death of the earthly body won't be the end. A little while later, Jesus is, is praying. He's praying for his followers. He'll, he'll actually end up praying for everybody that hears the message, for, for you and me. And he starts off in that prayer, John 17, verse 3. And he says this in the prayer, Now this is eternal life, that they, meaning my followers, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Right? Jesus defines eternal life as, as knowing this love of Jesus, that this love has no end. The rest of the details we'll discover in eternity, but Jesus wants to know, wants his followers to know this promise. Right? This this is the Sunday after Easter, and we stand and sing together, and, and we gather together on, on this Sunday, knowing that right, Easter is, is not just a Sunday. It's the promise of the resurrection that lives us, with us every Sunday, every day. It's the day that we celebrate that Jesus came back in bodily form, and in that, in that act of God, in that promise, we recognize that there is life after death, that heaven exists. And yet, even as we stand in that promise, right, I'm going to guess some of you are like me. Like, we still have questions in our humanity. Like, we just want a few more details. We, we need a little bit more. We're like Thomas right after, the, right after the resurrection of Jesus. Like, he needed to see it for himself. He, he needed some kind of evidence. And there's good news that we're not alone in those questions. The church has been asking them since its very beginning, since Jesus ascended. And we know this because in, in the church in Corinth, they were asking these questions. And, and Paul, in his letters to them, he answers them. This is, a, this is 1 Corinthians 15. In verse 35, it says this. It says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? You see, the Corinthians were like us. They, they're like, we just need some more details. We just need to know a little bit more about this. And so Paul goes on to answer, and to understand his answer in 1 Corinthians, if, if you pull up 1 Corinthians in, in 15 and you start reading at verse 35, as, as actually we, we sometimes do, there's something you need to notice about the context, because the very next thing Paul says is, how foolish, 
Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up with parents who said there's no such thing as a stupid question. And yet, if you read this, just these two lines from Paul, it's like they asked this question and Paul's like, that was a stupid question. Right? We need to let go of that for a minute and get the whole context. Because what's happened here is there are people who are denying the resurrection and they're living their lives as though it doesn't exist. And Paul's like, if, if the resurrection didn't happen, all of this is for naught. He's actually addressing the larger argument by saying how foolish. All these questions is, that, is these people who want to argue against resurrection keep pushing. And so he says to them, no, no, no. Look, uh, the resurrection is real. The disciples saw it. More people than that saw Jesus. And I saw Jesus. The resurrection is real. But then he does go ahead and he answers the question. He says, uh, he says this, and I, I want to I read these words to you. I'm going to invite that they won't be on the screen, um, beginning in verse 36. Because I, the early letters were read, and I, I think Paul probably just wants us to hang on to these images of what he believes about the body and the afterlife. This is what he says. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. The Corinthians are struggling, like, wait, what does resurrection look like? And Paul says to them, Oh, like Jesus, you will be resurrected. But it won't be with an earthly body. It will be with a, with a spiritual body. It's actually for this reason that, that uh, cremation is, is an accepted part of, of our beliefs. Whether your body decays naturally or whether it is cremated, it, it returns to dust. Right? But, but Paul teaches, as the Corinthians struggled with this, as we may struggle with this, that, that we will be resurrected, we'll be resurrected with the a, with a spiritual bodies, even as, our, even as our earthly bodies decay. And so we ask, like, okay, so what happens? Where do our spiritual bodies go? How, how does all this happen? And, and the answer is, even with all that we know from the Bible, it's a mystery, And some of us have a hard time living in mystery and with questions, but think of it, think of it like a mystery novel. You know, the, the kind of book where there's a, there's a mystery, there's a question that is driving you, and if it's a really good book, it just keeps pulling you forward. You want to know more of the story and, and more of the story because you know eventually it's going to be revealed and it'll be fulfilling at the, when it is revealed. Well, this is the... 
This is the mystery part of heaven, and it, it draws us to, to keep living into this love because we're waiting for it to be. We're waiting for it to be revealed in its time. But even as we wait, right, we get glimpses. The story is, is being written. One way we get glimpses are those who've, who've had near-death experiences. Right? People who have who've had their heart stops, who've been essentially clinically dead, and then come back to life. And, and some of them have shared these, these powerful stories. You may be aware of the books Heaven is Real or, or Miracles of Heaven or kind of more, more recent stories, these near-death experiences. And before we just dismiss those, some in the world just want to dismiss those as, you know, people trying to, to tell a story or making things up. But there's actually a, a group at NYU, New York University, not, like, not a hotbed of Christianity, right? It's a, it's a place of scholarship. And they've been studying these near-death experiences. They actually just released a, another article, a, another study at the beginning of this month. And they've been asking the question scientifically. They've looked at this and been like, what, what can we learn from all of these all of these stories. Their first large-scale study was called AWARE. If you want to Google it, you can learn more about it. And they, uh, they looked at 2,060 cardiac arrest patients across 15 different medical institutions and in different countries. They had over 33 investigators collaborating. And in this study, they found that 39% of the patients reported a perception of awareness despite showing no clinical evidence of consciousness. In other words, even though their heart had stopped and there was no blood flow to the brain to continue brain function, they had awareness, sometimes of what was going around them and sometimes of something beyond that. 39%, right? 10% of those were profound, transformative experiences, like the near-death experiences that people report. They also reported this, and I'm going to read this directly from the report. It said, authentic recalled experiences of death are not consistent with hallucination, illusions, or psychedelic drug-induced experiences. In other words, um, as they studied this, they wanted to know, are these just made up? And what they found was, no, these are real experiences for the people who have had them. They don't seem to be made up or drug-induced. And I love this quote. There's a bunch of quotes from the study, but I love this one. Uh, one one uh, person studied said, I felt a presence. That reassuring, I felt a presence. And I also felt complete trust in this company. So they can't explain this mystery. In fact, they say, I can't say this is scientifically verifiable, but, but we can't say it, we can deny it with science either. But then we also have glimpses that we get through the book of Revelation. Right? Revelation is this book that is filled with mystery and things we don't understand, but it also it has these images, images of the future. Here's Revelation 21, 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's 
dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So we don't and can't know every detail of heaven, but we know, right, that heaven, it's more than we can imagine. And Jesus says, it's elsewhere, he says, you know, there won't be marriage in heaven in the way that we understand marriage in this life, but, but every indication throughout the Bible is that, that we will be ourselves in these new spiritual bodies and that everything in our lives now will be deeper and richer and more full so we can imagine being united with loved ones. We can imagine that, that love being even more powerful than it is now. Right? So we know that Jesus promises to prepare a place and we know that, that people have have in near-death moments have had experiences of this place and have come back to, to just give us glimpses of what they experienced. And we know that, that Paul has, has taught that we'll have these spiritual bodies that, that carry on after our earthly body returns to dust and that the seeds that we plant now will, will, will bloom in heaven. And then we know this vision of revelation of a, of a place with no more pain and no more crying and no more tears. This, right, this is what we believe about heaven. And even more than that, Adam Hamilton is a pastor in Kansas City, and, and uh, I've probably quoted this before. I love what, what he says. He says, whenever somebody asks him, do you believe in heaven? He says, I don't just believe it. I'm counting on it. You've probably heard me say that without giving reference. I try to reference him when I say it, but it's just, it's just become so much a part of what I believe too and, and love to say that, right, I, I don't just believe it, I'm, I'm counting on it. Because counting on this promise of heaven, it doesn't just affect the future. It affects our lives here in this moment, in the now. In fact, when, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, it's present tense. The kingdom of heaven is like, not will be like. The kingdom of heaven is like. Because when we live with this promise, we begin to see the inbreaking of, of what heaven will be like in our midst now. C.S. Lewis wrote that what you believe about the afterlife isn't theoretical thinking. What you believe about the, the afterlife, about heaven, changes how you live your life now. God's promise of, of life eternal, of heaven, it empowers us to, to face the future unafraid. And if we'll let it, it permeates every aspect of our lives now. When we face a struggle, when we're not sure how to get through tomorrow, if we will count on heaven, we'll know that God's love is bigger than this struggle, that this struggle will not define us or our future. And we can find a way through. When we are in the throes of grief and struggling after the loss of a, of a loved one, we know as we count on this promise that this is just goodbye for now. And we can find the, the strength to continue the the invitation to find joy again in that promise. When we see things in the world that are broken, 
right? We don't just say, well, somebody else needs to deal with that. We jump in as, as a church and as a community to make a difference, to, to change things, because we know that our actions now are seeds planted for the future of God's kingdom, of heaven to come. I think of the, the promise of heaven like this. It's like, a, it's like a, um, Jesus is showing us a picture of the future, and it's beautiful and amazing and something that we, we long for, but we can't quite make it all out. And Jesus says, just, just stay in relationship of me. There's more that you, you can't see and you don't even know, but stay in relationship with me, and it'll become more and more and more clear for you. Some of you may have known the Weavers, Frank and Corinne. Corinne was, a, was one of the most faithful prayers I have ever known. Corinne would, uh, would fill out a, a connect card. And uh, I'm not saying everybody should do this, but if you, if you ever feel like this, um, she would start with a prayer on the line, you know, and like, like most of us do when we fill out a prayer card. And then it would go around and, and across another line. And then it would go all the way around the outside of the card. And then it would spiral into any space that was still available. And then she would flip it over and she would continue to pray in spirals on the back side of the card. And she prayed for her family and she prayed for people in the church that needed her prayers. She would read um, and I knew because she knew everything that was going on from our prayer list. She would read that prayer list every week and pray through every prayer with, with intention. She passed away about a year and a half ago, kind of right in the middle of the, the lockdown of COVID. Her, uh, her husband, Frank, he was less known, I think, to our congregation, but, but equally a bedrock of, of faith here with her. He took care of her. Um, he passed away this, uh, this last week. As uh, Pastor Kathy and I met with his, his daughter, she shared that a, a short time before he passed, he was in hospice, and he was in that state where kind of going in and, and out of consciousness. And she, uh, she reached out to, to just hold his hand, and he, he came back uh, to full consciousness. And then he told her and, and the nurse there the story. He said, I was in this place. Like, and it was, it was magical. And he said, he said that he couldn't see. There, there was something over his eyes, like a, a cloth or, or a scarf of some kind. But, but he didn't need to. It was like he could see with his body. And it was beautiful and amazing. And there was organ music playing. And it was, he said it was just gorgeous. And he said, then, then somebody reached out a hand to me, and I, and I grabbed it, and it turned out to be my daughter pulling me back. Doesn't that just give you chills? His daughter said, it just gave Frank this incredible sense of peace, and as, as we met with with she and her brother, we could see it brought the whole family a sense of peace. And maybe, who knows why he came back from that moment and didn't get to stay in that moment. A little while later, he would pass, but, but maybe so that, so that we could hear that message and get that glimpse and that, that promise. Maybe that, so she could share it with me and I could share it with, with all of you and, and we could count on that promise 
together. God's promise of heaven empowers us to face the future unafraid together as people of the promise of resurrection. And I close with these words of Paul. He says a little bit later in his letter to the Corinthians, listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. May we not just believe in the resurrection, may we count on it. Amen.